Our text for meditation this Visitation Sunday is on our Old Testament reading, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of our Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As today is Visitation Sunday, typically some pastors will speak of Mary's visit with her cousin Elizabeth, perhaps discussing St. John the Baptist leaping for joy as an infant still in the womb. But today's sermon will be a bit out of the ordinary in our discussion, in what I hope will explain why faithful saints like Elizabeth and Mary and John reacted with such joy in the way that they did. You see, the human heart wants Jesus Christ. In fact, no one else will suffice. We want Jesus Christ, we yearn for his presence, and we have an instinct to seek him out whether we know it or not. In light of this fact, we are always going to be dismayed at the imperfection of others. No politician can lead as well as he can. No husband will ever match up to him. No friend will be friendly enough compared to our Savior. No judge could be as just. No servant could be as humble. In the person of Christ Jesus, we have an imprint placed upon every single human heart which tells us about the God-man who is perfect, absolutely perfect in every way. Whether we admit it or not, we want him near us. Even non-believers have this desire to be with the Lord. Now, before we get our pitchforks and torches and start slinging copies of Bondage of the Will at me, let me say that this does not mean that the unregenerate can find Christ on their own, even if in their heart of hearts they want to be with him. Nor does this mean there is some Christian seed in every non-believer's soul. Our shared call to Jesus is not rooted in mankind being wonderful or something. But everyone wants Jesus in their lives. The difference between the believer and the non-believer is that believers are honest about it. You see, Romans 2 verse 15 teaches us that the law is written on our hearts. What does the law do? First, it acts as a curb against evil in this world, mitigating some of the effects of sin with civic authority. In what's called the third use, it also guides Christians in how we must act in this life. 
but the most prominent feature of the law in our preaching is its function as a mirror. The law tells you that you need a savior. From the depths of our hearts we have this feeling written in us that we cannot make it on our own. And we are poor sinners, destined for the fires of hell unless we have that Savior. We understand instinctually that this Savior simply must exist. We have an inborn desire to look for him. Unfortunately, while we feel the call to him, our sinful nature means that we cannot find him on our own. He must find us. All non-believers redirect their seeking for Christ on account of their ignorance or rebellion. They have this inborn law that points them to a savior, but sin living in them prevents them from recognizing and believing in him by themselves. Now, make no mistake, beloved, everyone will always have this inner witness. One man may never have heard the name of Jesus, but he still has the call. Perhaps someone has heard of Christianity but rejected the message. This does not remove the call. Someone may have been raised in the faith but abandoned it later. Again, this does not take away the witness of the law, the mirror that points him to Jesus. If someone persists in their unbelief, this means trying to satisfy that yearning through some sort of substitute or redirection. Of course, historically, people have fashioned idols for themselves, false gods made of wood or stone or precious jewels to do this. But the past 300 years have shown us a flowering bloom, a cornucopia of other false options as well. A man might decide that he is his own savior, forging his own path by gaining as much pleasure and riches as he can. A prime example of this would be Andrew Tate, the so-called masculinity guru. Seemingly more innocently, men and women might come together in marriage and seek their spouse as a savior. Another might decide to try to find solace and fulfillment through a collective, as the Hebrews decided for themselves. The Pharisees of Christ's day were just beginning to teach that one's blood and community is Messiah enough for them, and that they could save themselves. Political activists or celebrity junkies will inevitably find some human being to look to for their deliverance. Shush, shush, my soul. Obama or Trump or Jordan Peterson will make all things better. And of course, there are billions who do nothing but try to numb the yearning through drugs and drunkenness and other pleasures. We properly call this despair. They trust their quote-unquote medicine to satisfy. But none of these alternatives will ever be good enough. The law will not be ignored, so it will not permit us to be happy with our little distractions, leading to disaster all around. The bitter fruits of our substitution are evident. If you see salvation in yourself, you will always doubt and hate yourself for not making things actually better, no matter how much money or how many companions you have. 
Women are the principal drivers of divorce in our countries because they are shocked, shocked, I tell you, that their husbands are not perfect and won't always make them happy. Trusting in a race or some other collective for this yearning sounds good, until you find that most everyone in your race does things that are bad for your race. Caring for your people is good and healthy. Seeing them as the fulfillment of your core desires, though, leads to racial civil war, as the history of Europe shows. Trusting in politicians, celebrities, pop teachers, or human beings in general to soothe this yearning leads to constant disappointment. Endlessly. In fact, I would say that this is the cause of most violent revolutions, wherein we all start killing each other because our leaders don't match up to what Jesus Christ would do in office. And of course, when people numb the call to Christ, they end up just dying unremarkable deaths from overdoses, drunk driving, suicide, venereal disease, and so forth, provided they do not find themselves with Christ before it is too late. The overwhelming tragedy of humanity's misguided searches makes it clear that our Lord is the only one who can fulfill this desire for a savior. All other ground is sinking sand, and whether we admit it or not, we know that this is the case. Our Old Testament reading today highlights quite explicitly that our Lord Jesus is the only one who matches up to the expectations put in our hearts by the law. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Our Lord Jesus not only brings restoration by the atonement, he himself is the restoration and perfection of a previous order that at one point was glorious, the Davidic kingdom. Whenever we look back on old times and we are tempted to ask why things are worse now than they once were, our Lord stands to show us that he can restore. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Our true Savior does not rely on mankind's morality, mankind's wisdom, or the strength of mankind, for he knows that our morals are sin, our wisdom is foolishness, and our strength is utterly weak. We have a desire to have a king and a deliverer that does not make mistakes, will not fall to sin, and has the power to do what he sets out to do. We want a savior that never fails or lets us down, and the Holy Spirit has guaranteed to us, promised to us, that Jesus Christ is just such a one. He will never fail. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. The prophet declares that this righteous branch does not judge by his eyes or his ears. This might confuse us as who can judge any matter without seeing or hearing. But what he means by this is that our Lord makes decisions without human partiality. 
No one can bribe him. No one can play nepotism games with him. He is entirely unshakable. There is no lobbyist on the planet who can sway him toward evil. He does not need campaign donations. There is no seductress who can lead him astray, and he will not listen to the histrionic theatrics of today's media. He answers to our Heavenly Father, being completely free from normal human weakness. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. We all have a part of our hearts that wants a decisive leader, one who cares about us. This means treating the common man with dignity and fair judgment. It means the rich are just as accountable to him as the poor, and he will not let misfortune and injustice slide. This Savior prophesied also fulfills our inborn desire for a leader who delivers us from wickedness by giving the impenitent oppressors of this world everything they deserve. Not by executions, oh no. The wicked shall die in one of two ways, beloved. Either they are brought to saving faith, and their old Adam drowns, dying in the waters of holy baptism as they are washed by the promise of his word, or the wicked shall be forever dying at the pronouncement, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and they are cast into hell by his righteous edict. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And finally, our Old Testament reading says that he is righteous and faithful, finally amidst the mass of sinners that have inhabited the world since the fall in Eden, a good person. An unqualified good who never falters, who never abandons us, who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many of us have been abandoned by earthly fathers? How many of us felt left to our own devices by wicked leaders? How many of us were betrayed by adulterers? Christ Jesus is the only one who shall never commit such betrayals because he is good, he is God, and he is goodness himself. So much so that he dies upon the cross for us and rises for our eternal life, that is how much he loves us and is faithful to us. Only Jesus satisfies that yearning that is written on our hearts. When we read this oracle from the prophet Isaiah, we can look at each one of these verses and our hearts rise saying, yes, I want that. I want him. Each verse is an unqualified good that can only be found in Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior and Lord. No wonder Elizabeth and Mary and John the Baptist are filled with such joy at the visitation. They are brought to the realization that they are finally in the presence of the one to whom the law and the prophets point. And now our Lord Jesus invites us to be with him. We find him at the sacrament of the altar. We see that he is with us since the moment of our baptism. 
we are invited to say to him, you are not just Jesus the Christ, you are Jesus my Christ. I am yours, all of me belongs to you. You are my God, my King, my Deliverer, and I pledge to follow your commands, hear your teaching, and to rely upon you for all my good. Beloved, let us do so. Since the word has revealed where we can find Christ in the sacraments and in the gathering of the saints, let us await his more perfect, even greater presence upon his return, and thus rejoice as the saints did at the visitation. And our souls will be glad for it, free from the rat race and chasing after the wind with which the rest of the world occupies itself. Now the peace of our Lord, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.